The Appendix N Podcast, Episode 7, The Moon Pool, by Abraham Merritt. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read and discuss the authors that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. In the 1979 Dungeon Master's Guide, Gygax published a list of his favorite fantasy authors, and this list has come to be known simply as Appendix N. Every month on this show, we will read a book and talk about it. We will review the story and talk about how it relates to the game being played at your table. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming books. Before we get to the program, let's take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from, ac- from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. Uh, you can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. My pick for this episode is The Adventure Vault of the Drow for first edition Dungeons and Dragons by Gary Gygax. You can find it at Noble Knight for the low, low price of $22. Uh, and with me today for this very special episode is my guest. He goes by Bear. Welcome, Bear. All right. Standing ready. Uh, would All you right. like to introduce yourself? Uh, tell us what you, what you like to read and what you like to play at the gaming table. Well... Let's see. I'm a fan of Tolkien, pro, and uh, well, let's talk about gaming for a while. First, I should probably clarify that that I'm not too big into D and D in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more of a, a White Wolf fan, or or Legends of the Wulin, or some indie games. But I am interested in history, and I'm interested in how we we got to the cliches and stereotypes that we have now. I mean, if it weren't for, well, three hearts, three swords, three lions, right? If it wasn't for that, Paladin would still mean some guys that palled around with Charlemagne. And, and, and I think we'll actually get to that because uh, that's, uh, that's on Appendix N. Yeah. So it's things like that that have influenced fantasy as a whole just because Guy Gax was influenced by these things. And and that's what this show is uh, is all about. So, right. Uh, Merit shows up in Appendix N as Merit, comma A, uh, and Gygax actually lists a couple titles for him: uh, Creep, Shadow Creep, Moon Pool, and Dwellers in in Mirage, which makes uh, doing him kind of easy compared to Lovecraft, uh, for whom Gygax simply lists Lo- Lovecraft, comma HP. So, so all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, there, there's been, been whole podcasts uh, dedicated to, to Lovecraft, but uh, Gygax at least, at least narrows down the field a little bit. Uh, and Gygax actually calls out Merit. Uh, under, underneath uh, the, the list, there's a, there's a short paragraph uh, that begins with, the most immediate influences upon AD&D were probably DeComp and Pratt, R.E. Howard, Fritz Leiber, Jack Vance, H.P. Lovecraft, and A. Merritt. And of all of those, Abraham Merritt is the only one that I've never, ever heard of before. No, he is pretty obscure. Apparently he was popular in his day because he got two books out, two, three, four. 
It yeah. was a long serial, but meh. yeah, apparently he was he was very popular. So uh, Abraham Merritt, born 1884, died 1943. Uh, Wikipedia names uh, H. Ryder Haggard, Robert W. Chambers, Helena Blavatsky, and Gertrude Barrows Bennett. Uh, as heavy influences, and and out of those, I've only ever heard of Robert W. Chambers, who was also an influence on H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Merritt huh. went on to influence Lovecraft and Michael Moorcock, and was apparently referenced uh, in the Lensman series by E. E. Smith. Born in Beverly, New, New Jersey, uh, Abraham Merritt was primarily known as a as a journalist. Uh, writing fiction was sort of a sideline for him. Uh, he was assistant editor of the American Weekly from 1912 to 1937, uh, and then he was the editor until his death in 1943. And this was one of the first, like, newspaper insert magazines. I, I guess it was very widely circulated in its day. Um, mm-hmm. His first fantasy story was Through the Dragonglass uh, in 1917. Uh, the Moon Pool originally appeared in All Story Weekly as two short stories, The Moon Pool itself and Conquest of the Moon Pool in 1919. Uh, these two were later reworked into a novel. Uh, apparently, something of the original story was lost. Uh, as we, so, in a, in a letter that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft wrote in, in 1934, uh, he says, Merit is certainly great stuff. He has a subtle command of a unique type of strangeness which no one else has been able to parallel. You are absolutely right in considering his original Moonpool novelette as published in the All Story for June 22, 1918, his best work. The sequel, The Conquest of the Moonpool, was relatively commonplace and tainted with the atmosphere of cheap popular fiction. It is a major crime that many of the best touches were taken out of the novelette, when it was fused with its sequel to form the ultimate book version. So apparently uh, what, what reread Bear uh, was right. was missing some of the uh, original text. Yeah. Well, you can tell that they are two entirely different books. I mean, even I could tell. Half of this is kind of a vaguely horror, pulp horror thing, and the other half is kind of a two-fisted pulp adventure thing. It's yeah. It's it, it's not even even half and half because the 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 <laughs> horror part is about five chapters, and and this thing is is thirty chapters long. So yeah, thirty five as I recall, right? Thirty five. Uh, I'll I'll take your word for it. I've I've, I've got the uh, I've got the HTML version right here. Yep, thirty five chapters. If 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 I'm reading my Roman numerals correctly. Yeah, I remember it being something of a doorstopper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I only got through the, through the last half, I confess, because I did manage to find a LibriVox recording. Uh, LibriVox, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I used that one extensively all through this thing, if you oh, would okay. ask a little earlier. So, yeah. Okay, <sighs> got it. So so both of us cheated, got it. Uh, more or less, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it starts off as, as kind of a, a horror story. You can, you can sort of see the, the Lovecraft, uh, influences, but, but then it takes a right turn into, into, uh, John Carter of Mars territory, you know, uh, uh under, yeah, underground, well, more, more like, uh, Pellucidar, which, uh, I just reviewed with my good friend, Jeff Wickstrom on this very show. Check it out. Uh, episode six. Um, 
so you, let's let's begin at the beginning. Uh, our our heroes, and when we get to the end, stop. Uh, I like your plan <laughs> precisely. Yeah. So we start out where I think yeah these. Australian, I think he's some kind of Australian scientist who's investigating the strange ruins of... I, th I think the scientists are American. I, I don't remember now. But we're... we're no. the, 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 the whole thing is being narrated by our protagonist, Dr. Goodwin. Right. Uh, and he's a, he's a, a, a botanist uh, studying in the uh, Pacific Islands. Uh, and he he runs across his friend Dr. Throckmorton, uh, who's who's being pursued by this uh, creature. That's 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 we 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 first know him as the Dweller in the Pool, which just sounds like a Lovecraft monster. Yeah, it it really does. Uh, even even Goodwin raises an eyebrow at that, even though he saw the thing trying to batter down a, a strand of moonlight over water like it was a door between worlds, which I would think would kind of change his mind that this thing really exists, but apparently not. <laughs> so, yeah. And it, it, the, the name also just sort of reminds me of, of, of the watcher in the, in the water from, from outside the gates of Moria. Um, but so, so this, but this thing that's that's pursuing his friend Dr. Throckmorton. It, it it sort of looks like a like a half angel, half devil, you know, being made out of light. But it's it's most I guess uh, significant feature is there's seven globes of different colors swirling ar around its head, like a like a like like a nimbus of of gemstones, which right away uh -huh. reminded me. Since we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons influences, reminded me of the mm -hmm. of the Iune stones. I'm I'm not sure how you pronounce that truly, but let's go with that. Sure. Uh, most yeah. people most most people say Iune stones. All right, that's the first time I've ever talked about them. So yeah. Well, there you go. You learn something new every day. <laughs> we're we're right. we're an educational show. Um, yeah, we truly are. And this this whole novel is sort of being presented as, you know, it's 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 that it's that whole like fiction masquerading as as truth thing. Like this is this is being presented as a a journal that Dr. Goodwin is submitting to a scientific board about his right dis, right dis, discoveries after the fact. I think the subgenre was called the Traveler's Tales. Which was what Gulliver's Travels was parodying later. Everybody forgot it was a parody later, but it was. I think, you know, I think Gulliver's Travels was was much much earlier, but I, I I could be wrong. Yeah, well, it kept going anyway. But anyway, yeah, it's it's yeah, kind Gull of a lost world thing. Gulliver's Travels was 1726, so you're yeah about about 200 years. Uh, <laughs> uh, oops. Yeah. Oops. But yeah, more or less. So this and and apparently um, we so so we get Throckmorton's backstory, where he's um, he he is also a a scientist. I, I I forget what type of scientist, but he's um, I don't think they ever mentioned it really. 
it, they I, might not have. It it got lost somewhere in the four hundred pages that, of, this, <laughs> of this novel. Yeah, yeah, I know that feeling. Uh, but he's he's researching on the island of they they call it uh, non matal. Uh, non matal, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, it's it's actually like somewhere near like Indonesia and and Malaysia, I think. Um, I'll you know what I will look up the actual name of the island and and have it in the in 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 the show notes. Um, All right, sounds like a plan. Right. So so Doctor Throckmorton is is uh, researching something. Let's let's say birds, because why not? <laughs> right. He's a. Right. He's uh, and he's with his his wife and his uh, Nor- Norwegian uh, maid, I guess. Yeah, and, a Norwegian nursemaid that had taken care of him since childhood. Apparently, this is the kind of thing you invite your childhood friends on. I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, I, yeah. I well, believe that that he was researching how these these huge. Uh, he calls them Cyclopean ruins. Ends up here when the natives certainly couldn't have done it. It's it's like uh, like how adventurers of the time thought that the natives of Africa couldn't have built uh, Great Zimbabwe, things like that. These these ruins scattered around the world that seem to have an alien influence. You know, I think this is what he was poking into as kind of an anthropologist. Okay, so he's 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 sort of sort of an anthropologist, archaeologist, and, and and there's that word, cyclopean. Lovecraft yeah. really liked that word, but it, mm. it first shows up here in 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 this story. Um, so Throckmorton is 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 researching on the island of of Non Matol. Uh, and 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 the natives are very superstitious about this place. They, they they say we you know don't don't go there during the three nights of the full moon. And if we if we take you there, we're we're gonna leave. You know you can you can stay there, but but we're gonna leave while there's a there's a full moon out. And of course, Doctor Throckmorton, being a you know white person, is like oh, native native superstition, right? Hmm. But they do give him a bunch of protective charms, which he scoffs at. I'm not. I'm not sure if they actually did anything. Probably not because he didn't bring them. But meh. and and then they they you know one by one they're they're sort of carried off by this half angelic half demonic flying being of of light. I I think at at one point Merritt compares him to a to a a, a Buddhist figure. Yes, a. A Buddhist messenger bird with a beak of frozen fire, or something on the lines of that. Yeah, it's it's really weird looking. Like it's it's not it's not your your usual scary monster with with claws and fangs. It's just really darn uh, mysterious. Yeah, well, we get into the original meaning of weird here because that word just means strange now. But at the time it was used, like in weird tales, it meant strange and also supernatural. And trust me, this thing is weird. And it it apparently like like leaves a mark on people that it it touches because Throckmorton gets a, gets away, right? And, right. And um, Doctor Doctor Goodwin, when when Throckmorton's later re- re- relating the story on the on the boat, like can can see like his his skin has like turned to to porcelain almost where the 
where the creature has has touched him, right? Right. Well, two marks actually. One being the the mark you mentioned, their skin turns kind of partially milky white, and the other one being this look of shall we say agony and ecstasy at the same time. Right. That, yeah. that he keeps bringing up. It it struck me as very odd that that he sees his his friend this this uh, two-fisted lion of a man who's suddenly shambling down the beach with this weird look on his face and he waits until dust even ask what's wrong with him that seems very odd to me well they're they're wasps <laughs> they're 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 very polite and <laughs> yeah well i'm sure he can handle it just uh bring it up gently you know wouldn't want to bruise his pride or anything <laughs> it was it was it was a different time but um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I was I was also struck since since we we just got done with uh, five shows of Edgar Rice Burroughs, who is probably the most uh, misogynist author uh, I've I've ever read. Uh, oh, although... you you haven't seen Howard yet? <laughs> uh, the Veil of Lost Women. Oh God, The Veil of Lost Women. Well, that's <laughs> that's that's later. But <laughs> uh, c- compared to Burroughs. In in this story, uh, Throckmorton has two women in his in his party. One is Throckmorton's wife, who is apparently a a crack shot with a with a shotgun, and with also rifles and pistols. Yeah, and and also a a scientist of uh, equal intellect to to himself. Mm-hmm. Like she's she's not just his, his assistant. They 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 both share a love for for the science that that you know whatever science they're they're researching on this on this island um thora yep. the the nursemaid is is kind of a you know viking stereotype but uh we yeah. you know how the term magical native american gets kind of bandied around yeah thora thora is a magical swede more or less what she is she actually does some kind of pagan ritual that actually seems to ward this thing for a while yeah, we we really really see her for like a paragraph before she's she's carried off, but yeah. It's, she's one of the two that gets picked off early and they have to go on a rescue mission. But so there's all already we've got two female characters that like aren't half naked and swooning and everything. So <laughs> Right. Uh, com- compared to I I'm just saying compared to to Burroughs, it's a marked Im- improvement. Um Yeah. So the, and, yes, and it continues too. I mean, other than the villain of the story, who is kind of an evil queen archetype, other than that, the women in the story are fairly badass. So Throckmorton actually tries to go to the the island where the dweller is coming from, where where huh? he's where where it's carrying off his his friends to, right? And it's it's just him and his wife left. And they they find these ruins, right? Mm-hmm. Do they is 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 this where they go inside, or is that not until later? Um, I I think they 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 manage to open up this um this this big stone pillar, right? And they and right. they manage to go down inside what is you know basically a dungeon, more um, or less. And they find the titular moon pool, right? It's this it's this weird pool of not quite water 
Uh, and it's it's got seven lights shining into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I recall, they go to to uh, Nantoat, is the actual name of the island, the islet, rather, that, that the, the moon door is on. And they figure out, after seeing this thing come and go and put people to sleep, that the door opens with the light of the full moon. So they jigger up a way to use some kind of light-condensing technology to open it up early and rush in and see what's in there. And they, they discover the moon pool. Which is, which is a silvery pool of with uh, seven lights streaming down into it that seems to manifest the dweller. That seem, it goes forth out of this area. It snags a few people and then it comes back for some unknowable reason. Right. And and that's that too is kind of a horrifying thing. You can see that in some of Gygax's like monster ecology. We have no idea why this thing works the way it does, but here's how it does. It's 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 almost like you know like what if Superman was was evil and just flying <laughs> around snatching people and 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 taking them back to his fortress of solitude and you know it's, <laughs> like it's it's really creepy because apparently this thing can just fly anywhere and it's made of light so you 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 can't shoot it. No, they tried that, but didn't quite work. So, so I guess they're they're ambushed at this point, and uh, Throckmorton's wife Edith. So I've I've, I've got, actually got the text in 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 front of me now. Kind of sacrifices herself to to save him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and only you know doesn't exactly work out for either of them. But well, Throck, Throckmorton manages to live long enough to. Uh, get back on a boat and meet up with Dr. Goodwin and tell his story. And, and just as he's done telling his story, uh, the, the dweller comes for Dr. Throckmorton. And, and that's the end of the original moon pool as far as we, as we have it. And the next 30 chapters are, are all about Dr. Goodwin trying to rescue Throckmorton. Really? Conquest started that early? I would I would assume so. Huh. So he he basically he I he he sets out pretty much alone. Uh yeah. well, he's he he's got a he's got a Portuguese uh boat captain with him. Right, named, De Costa. Yeah. And his his plan is basically I'm going to go back to the island and try and find my friends and that's about as far as his plan goes. Um <laughs> yep. Oh, I, I, I think he spends some time uh, in in Australia stocking up on like supplies, like like scientific e- equipment, uh, am- ammunition, uh, and those light condensing thingamabobs that were used to rig the door open. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it it almost reminds me of uh, the Mountains of Madness, which you know was was Lovecraft's major novel. Much much later, you know, the 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 whole mounting an expedition, but first we have to get all this stuff together. Yeah, it also, if we're talking D and D, reminds me a bit of adventures making preparations to go down into a dungeon. Yeah, we we need our our ten foot pole. We need we need rope. We, <laughs> need, we need we need chalk. We need a mirror to look around corners in case there's a there's a basilisk, right? 
So yeah, remember remember back in the day when like adventurers actually had stuff besides you know swords and armor and stuff yeah. for killing people. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever whatever happened to that? Um, well, we stopped making killer dungeons that required it, and <laughs> yeah. So, um, very very quickly, um, Doctor Goodwin fir- first discovers a a airplane that's that's had to do a a water landing and they rescue a uh what well, you're it... getting ahead of yourself o'keefe doesn't show up yet first oh, he is discovers it, is, it, uh, is it olaf first yeah first okay. olaf halverson who is also kind of a big strapping nordic gentleman right. you'll notice that everyone who isn't exactly his shade of white turns out to be some kind of stereotype but it's a good kind of stereotype yeah, it's, apparently Nords just get four to strength or something. Meh. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing like Merritt was was a big fan of of not not only like botany and and anthropology, but but also folklore because he he incorporates a lot of of Norse oh. folklore, Irish folklore, Polynesian folklore into this whole oh, whole yeah. thing. I mean, it's again like you can really see the influence on Dungeons and Dragons cuz that that is also just a mishmash of folklore from like all over the world you know it's it's not just the the british knights versus dragons right i mean dungeons dungeons and dragons has e- egyptian monsters it's it's got uh, minotaurs and 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 unicorns and you know hopping vampires right it, it's it's got monsters from all all over the world yeah. so Especially once we hit deities and demigods, that... Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> all right. So, Dr. Goodwin finds this boat adrift, and he, he rescues a uh, Norwegian named Olaf Holdrickson, who's this big, strapping, blonde, you know, he, he's basically Thor, right? <laughs> More or less, yeah. Right. He's, he's, he's basically going to be the, be the muscle of the, of the party. But he's he's not stupid, as as we will we will later f- find out. But uh, Olaf's well, wife he got a few ranks in bluff. Yeah, <laughs> Olaf's wife and daughter have been carried off by uh, the dweller, and and he's out for revenge. So so mm-hmm. he he joins the party, uh, and then am I am I right? They then then they they come across a downed aircraft. Uh, right. And uh, I, I I can't remember if if I I think he he just had engine trouble right right this this is not related to the to the to the dweller no, no he just happened to have he got lost he had a little engine trouble and he just and he now just he happened, happened to, to crash there, yeah. land and so it's uh-huh. it's a I I can't remember if if he's part of the American Air Force or the or the British Air Force but uh, Larry. O- British SAS. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Royal Royal Flying Corps of Britain's Navy. Uh, Larry O'Keefe. He's a he's a half Irish, half American uh, airman, uh, and he very quickly becomes Doctor Goodwin's best friend. Uh, Doctor Goodwin is almost in love with this guy. Uh, he describes his his laughing blue eyes and and fearless soul. Right. If if this were a, a movie, uh, Larry O'Keefe would probably be the the square jawed main character. Right. Uh, yeah. This is what I thought too. Uh, why isn't this guy the main character? Because he's a two fisted pulp hero, flying ace, and he, 
But no, we're focusing on the science for now. Huh? Well, he, he, he basically is the, the, the main character. Dr. Goodwin is just narrating, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I suppose you could say that. I mean, there is the whole chosen one thing later. Right, I mean, but Dr. Doctor Goodwin really doesn't talk very much throughout this, this whole thing. He just makes very dry observations now, and then most of the dialogue is o- O'Keefe. I would say. <laughs> well, let's... He doesn't say too much out loud, but his internal monologue is is very loud and bombastic indeed. Well, he's, he's presenting he, this to a, to a board of scientific inquiry, so, you know, he's... Uh, uh, he cannot say anything in the superlative without dropping some kind of cultural or mythological reference. And you can see this... I think this is where Merritt kind of steps in because he was a journalist. He was a world traveler. He was all over the place and he's just showing off how much he knows about how many different cultures, Mm -hmm. I think. Well, I mean, love, Lovecraft did it too. And, and Burroughs did it too. They, I I think it was just, it's, it's what you did. Uh, Maybe, maybe they were being paid by the, by the word, like, like, like like Dickens, (laughs) who knows. Right. Um, Maybe. This seems quite accurate. Yeah, it's just your tradition that that died out. Kind of like like uh, Burroughs' way of writing. You mentioned in A Princess of Mars that he had a similar thing going. But yeah, we. Uh... So o- O'Keefe is is both very superstitious, but also he he. he, he 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 apparently doesn't like superstitions that are not his own, I guess. Because so he he believes that there's a banshee after him, uh, and he believes in leprechauns and things. But but later on in the story, when he's presented with uh, the the underground society and and all of their superstitions, he he scoffs at it all. Uh, yeah, so this a, is this is kind of an interesting thing. He believes th- that uh, banshees and leprechauns and such exist, but only in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> and since we're not there, what you saw was obviously something perfectly explainable. Right. So, yeah, that, <laughs> that's that's a bit of an odd character quirk, but uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it makes him unique. But, all right. They, they finally get to the, to the island, uh, and and these are these are going to be our, our our three main ad- adventurers: Doctor Goodwin, Olaf, and Larry o- O'Keefe. And they and they manage to to find the door into the ruins when they are ambushed by a dirty Russian spy. <laughs> yeah, you can tell the time is kind of creeping in because this book was written around the time of the Russian Revolution, one of the many Russian revolutions. And yeah, you can see there's some influence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think the Cold War had even started at this point. This no, this is the, this is the, the tail Cold end War of, was years off. This is this is the tail end of of World War One, I, I think. Right. Uh, I'm trying to find right. O'Keefe is a World War One flying ace, but yeah. the uh, the 1813 Russian Revolution had started a while back, around the time the Moon Pole was written. So of course there had to be a dirty Russian in there. Uh, Marikinov, that's right. his name. So 
they're 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 ambushed by uh, Marikinov, uh, who, and 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 they basically uh, all all four of them end up trapped inside the Moonpool d- uh, dungeon, and uh, I I think uh, Marikinov uh, apologizes and says, oh I I wasn't trying to shoot you, um I was I'm just here uh, for science. Don't mind me. I'll I'll join you and totally not betray you later. Uh, I, I think is about the explanation that that we get right. And of course, no one believes it for good reason. Right. <laughs> so they uh, they go they go and yeah. So they they go down in the dungeon and and they they find the moon pool and they can't really do anything with it. So they're they're poking they're they decide to explore more and turns out well there's there's more rooms here right. Uh, to, to this to this dungeon, and eventually, phone, though. what's that? They do, of course. The Russian is somehow more up to this than they are. They've been the Russian is trying to research this place. He knows a little more about it than them, and they figure out that the moon pool is radioactive. And he does whip up some kind of potion that would have reversed Throckmorton's mark because Olaf Olaf tries something stupid. And uh, and Marikinoff barely saves him because he brewed up this uh, mixture of moon pool water and some anti-radiation chemical. I forget which. So, yeah, there's that. Okay. I, I had totally <laughs> forgotten that, that part. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, basically Mar- Mar- Marikinoff is, is here researching something with which he can make, make weapons. Right. And this is, this is, again, this, this is before the, the nuclear bomb. This is, this is, this is long, but, but before, before all of that. Right. Um, but I, but I guess, I guess nuclear radiation was a thing that was of, of interest to the scientific uh, community at the time. Cause, cause uh, Burroughs had uh, bullets made out, out of radium powder. And, and, and here we've got, you know, yeah, radiation was their kind of scientific code word for magic. It's a thing we don't quite understand. Well, look it's look now how qu- it was used in, in, in comic books in the, in the earlier days, right? Like, radiation can turn you into Spider-Man, it can turn you into the Incredible Hulk, it can turn you into the Fantastic Four, right? Radiation can do anything. More or less that, yeah. And it turns out that the uh, the underground civilization, of course, has atomic technology. Right. That that doesn't give them cancer, because. Right. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of shielded, I suppose. Maybe. Right. <laughs> so they're 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 poking around in this dungeon when all of a sudden they 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 are, are presented with the hologram of this beautiful golden-eyed woman, and a humanoid frog. Right. Kind of a contrast there. Uh, so people are mm-hmm. yes and o'keefe for some reason decides that they are lost loves not not the frog of course the beautiful woman and him he thinks that she's irish for some unknowable reason and they pretty much decide that they're star-crossed lovers on the spot and it's the 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 description of the of the projection effect is is weird and i i, I want to try and find it 
there, 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 there were before us golden-eyed girl and grotesque frog woman, complete in every line and curve. And still, it was as though their bodies passed back through distances, as though to try to express the well-nigh inexpressible. The two shapes we were looking upon were the end of an infinite number stretching in fine-linked chain far away, of which the eyes saw only the nearest, while in the brain some faculty higher than sight recognized and registered the, the unseen others. Yeah, so I immediately thought of, like, somebody set up a mirror tunnel except in reverse or something. Yeah, it, it's, it's a very strange description. It's, it's, it's the kind of description that that you that I, I I get that you would have had in in books before there were movies, right? We're we're a much more visual society now, and we've we've got you know special effects and 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 things like that. But to describe something like that to someone who had never even imagined it before it takes literary talent, uh, and I think it's, yeah. it's something that we've that we've lost. Uh, in in books these days, where someone says, "Oh, it's it just looks like that thing you saw in a movie." Yeah, if a modern writer had said this, he would have just said it looks like a hologram. Yeah, because that's what it is. But anyway, yeah, I just I just wanted to highlight that because I I really liked it when I read it, and yeah, it 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 made an Im- impression on me. Uh, mean, meanwhile, Doctor Goodwin is 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 theorizing what what species of frog it is. Um, <laughs> of course, right. Um, and so the 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 hologram woman and and her frog friend uh, open up a, a, a secret passage, right? That leads underground. Uh, and right. they basically find this this underground city. Uh, and it's it's full well, of what's that? Yeah, they. I think they more or less stumble into. Uh kind of a an underground version of a space elevator i mean they go down for quite some time yeah, it's there's kind of a, important. there's <sighs> there's a there's a vehicle right that they that they that they come across right yeah like a like a like a weird uh people mover thing that 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 just rockets <laughs> them through through this this underground tunnel uh, we'll and, have a name for that later but we don't now <laughs> no and it's kind of a kind of a hovering sh- seashell thing. And there's there's apparently lots of these seashell things that that they, that they use mm-hmm. as cars, right? Uh, right. It, it it almost reminds me of of like of like the Snorks or something. Or mm-hmm. the the Snorks the Snorks were basically Smurfs but underwater. Ah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it was a Hanna Bar- Barbera cartoon. Um, kind of missed that one, but yeah, more or less. You you, you weren't missing much. So, all right. <laughs> right. So, sorry. So we've all right. So they 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 come to this uh, underground city uh, called Muria, uh, and of course I immediately thought of Murica, but uh, that's, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's it's not uh, that. It's it's Muria, uh, and. We're, we we slowly get introduced to the to the to the hierarchy here so there's the 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 men are, are apparently all green dwarves and and the women just look like normal human white women of course 
for some <laughs> for some strange strange reason. Uh, and and the rulers of this society are Yolara, the the priestess of the Shining One, and Luger, uh, the voice of the Shining One, and who happens to be a red dwarf. For some reason, we are never exactly told why. Yeah, Yo Yolara is a beautiful dark haired woman, and Luger is a red dwarf. Um, but then th then all the dwarves are described as being big and muscular. So I don't know how you can be a big dwarf, but. Um, well, kind of a thick-set dwarf. The whole thing they used to do about twice as broad as he is tall, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 almost like uh, from like like as as soon as as they as they make uh, contact with with the people, they're 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 almost sort of treated like like foreign foreign dignitaries, but but with a large amount of of suspicion, right? Uh, they're mm -hmm. they're 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 ushered in right away to to see the leadership and 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 then they're 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 kept in the in a in a house and they've they've got a, a green dwarf uh, looking looking after them uh, what uh, uh, radar radar yeah radar 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 yeah radar uh, who's who's like their their chauffeur and basically becomes their friend eventually. But all right, so Yolara and Luger serve uh, the what 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 they call the Shining One, which which we learn is is the dweller in the pool. Mm -hmm. uh, and and they hold regular sacrifices right in this huge arena thing, where the where right. the dweller comes from behind a a big scintillating rainbow wall and just sits down and and prisoners are sort of pushed towards him and he basically carries them off. Yeah, we aren't even told that they're sacrificial rituals until much later. They just say it's dancing with the shining one, and and uh, you know you're envisioning this kind of kind of ritual dance, and then you figure out, oh wait, yeah, no, it actually hollows them out, turns them into zombie slaves, and then he carries them off to some unknowable place. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so in the in this underground cavern, there's. I, so there's there's a huge wall of scintillating rainbow and 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 there's a there's a huge wall of shadow right and I I think they're they're on opposite sides. Right. Um, and and the dweller lives, but behind the rainbow wall and we're we're told that that some beings called the silent ones, live behind the shadow wall. And we we meet the priest of the silent ones, uh, Lakla. Who who turns out to be the the golden eyed woman that that Larry's infatuated with? Well, handmaiden of the silent ones. I'm not sure if that's a priestess, but close enough. Yeah, she's their ambassador to this outside world. And there's and there's some kind of animosity between the the shining one and the and the silent one. Um, and we're we we. We also get a look at so they've 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 got some some weird uh, tech technology down here. They've they've got ray guns, of course, uh, which which of they course. call right. They it's 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 called Keth, and it's like a cone that you basically put on your finger and you point it at 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 someone. Right, and it sheaths them in kind of radioactive green fire, and they vibrate themselves to oblivion. It's a disintegration ray thing. Disintegration ray. I will disintegrate Pre you. <laughs> Precisely. Right. Uh, and uh, they've they've got these weird like seashell 
vehicles, right? Right. And we do eventually get a name for those, Corioles, but for a for long time, they're just seashell hovercraft things. What, what else do they have? Well, let's see. They had the Kathy Corioles. They, they have uh, apparently in invisibility cloaks, like exactly like in, in Harry <laughs> Potter. <laughs> More or less that, yeah. And of course, those are used by secret police and assassins who are totally not with the voice of the Shining One. And they've and they've got crystal globes. Oh, that and they, they have some to... kind of right. They have communication globes that somehow uh, turn voice into light and then back into voice. It's like some kind of of light-based fiber optic modem or something years before it's time. That's really cool. <laughs> and then they have these these gravity reversal grenades that Oh yeah. that the rush is entirely too interested in for obvious reasons. Right. So <laughs> yeah, you 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 get hit by one and you just you just fly up. I well, I guess you would have you would hit the ceiling cuz they're they're underground. But Right. And, and then fall, so because they eventually do wear off, and as we know, it's not the fall that kills you; it's the sudden stop at the end. But I'm pretty sure that's a spell in Dungeons and Dragons. Anti, anti yeah, it's huh. Yeah, I do remember some people using levitate that way. In fact, think... one of the reasons that the Drow have levitate as a racial ability they used to back in the day, mm -hmm. I think they were trying to emulate something like this. Well, I mean, in this, underground this whole... society that, yeah, yeah, in underground society that weaponizes the use of levitation, yeah, it it feels kind of like that. This so I think this there's whole a little society does does remind me of the of the drow, even even though they're they're not really in inherently evil, except for the the people in in charge. But but they 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 are sub subservient to this monster, who's who's kind of like like Lolth, who's just sort of playing with them, right? All right, and we have an evil matriarchy involved, so there's that too. Well, it's a it's a it's a council. It's it's not really a matriarchy, but but yeah, yeah. The 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 evil priestess does seem to be the one who's really in charge of of of, of everything. Um. Luger wants to talk so when they when they first meet with the people in in charge uh Luger wants to uh talk to Olaf and uh uh the Russian or no he he wants Olaf I guess to like experiment on him or or something well he wants Olaf to fight in some kind of arena because you know big strapping Norseman right and uh, but he he um oh oh yeah the um uh, Markinoff makes some some sort of like secret like brotherhood sign, uh, right, right to Luger. C oh, uh, I we should we should mention this. So uh, so uh, uh, apparently the the language they're all speaking is is some like re re related to whatever the the islanders above were speaking. Yeah, it's sort of a proto Polynesian thing that they're busting out. Which, which of course, you know, Doctor Goodwin and Larry O'Keefe and all these people—they—they they all speak it, so they can kind of sort of sort of talk to to each other. Even though you know the people down here think they have atrocious grammar, but yeah. they manage somehow right. or other. 
So, so Markinoff references like some sort of secret deity from from the surface, and it, it it just so happens that that Luger happens to recognize the sign, and he's just like, "You're interesting. I want to talk to you." Uh, and Olaf pretends that I don't know, I don't speak this this, <laughs> this language, even though he totally does. And and he plays the the big strong dumb guy, and he's like, "I'm going to go along and and listen to what they say and report back to you guys." And and that's that's how we find out about the the anti gravity bomb. Yeah, yeah, he's he wins a few victories in the arena, and they allow him to sit by because obviously he has no idea what we're talking about. So they invite him to a big dinner after the fights, and and there's a lot of things they just let slip. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. So our 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 heroes are, are sort of being wined and dined while Yolara and and Luger are wondering what to do with them, and uh, Yolara kind of falls in love with with Larry, because Larry's this you know you know dapper you know uh, British. Yeah, soldier, I guess. Yeah, remember how I said Norsemen must get four to strength? Well, Irishmen must get four to charisma and a free level of bard or something because. <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone's in, in <laughs> love with this guy, even even <laughs> even Doctor Goodwin. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course Larry's uh playing her because he's he's just trying to get information out of her as as well. He's he's still per, per, pursuing. Uh, the 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 golden eyed girl, who we eventually learn her her name is Lakla. Right, but we did skip something here though that I think is is kind of important. Apparently, yeah, we start hinting at that these guys want to go up and conquer the surface real early, because. Because uh, Yolara asks O'Keefe a lot about the technology he he has up there, yeah. and O'Keefe's just just totally bullshits her, just completely. And he manages to smuggle a a pistol down there somehow because they have no idea what guns are. Yeah, and and she makes a gesture at a vase with her disintegrator ray, and it disintegrates, but it takes much too long. It has to vibrate itself into oblivion first. And he whips out his gun and just bang in the flash of an eye, and she is suitably impressed with this. And <laughs> it's 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 really interesting a a society that that has superior but different tech technology, like like their technology de- developed along completely different lines. So in some ways, it's more advanced than than than, than ours, but they've they've missed some stuff, right? Yeah, it's brought up a few times that that guns just slay quicker than the Keth. The Keth would probably be more effective if heavy armor was a thing, but it's not down here. So, so yeah, they do manage to bamboozle and intimidate these these would be conquerors and stall for a bit more time. And and eventually, um, I I think the the council decides that that these uh, intruders are to be executed. Um, they're 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 causing too much too much trouble, and uh, the oh and uh, and uh, Lakla shows up as a as an emissary for the for the silent ones and says that that the silent ones 
wish to wish to talk to these strangers from the surface and and wants Yolara and the council to hand hand them over and Yolara says no. Right. So we'll give her 3 days to think it over and of course that gets tense quick. Yeah, it's it basically turns into a cat fight. Um <laughs> more or less. Yeah. Yeah. Um and right, so uh, With and, Larry at the center of it, of course, because yeah, they do they're, get they're, kind they're of fake Larry over, over Larry, because because Yolara thinks that she's going to marry Larry, because because Larry's sort and, of been been sweet talking to her, and uh, eventually Larry just just tells her straight, "Look, I've been playing you to get information out of you. I'm going to go with Lakla, and you're not going to stop me." Uh, and and that's when they're sort of sentenced to be executed. Uh, but it, luckily, it, it turns out that uh, Rador, the, the green dwarf who's been you know, guarding them the, the whole time, is actually Lachla's uncle, right? And, and just right. really isn't cool with the whole council and the Shining One, and he would rather throw in his lot with the, the other side anyway. So he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smuggle you, you guys out of here. And so this is when we go right. to, to the other side of the Shadow Wall. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there, there's a warden at the at the shadow wall. There's some kind of guardian, and he's the only one who can lift the shadow, or maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's, but he's there's got the some password, kind of right? uh, yeah. There's some kind of tech you need to lift the shadow, and they barely bamboozle past him. They they tell him, you know, they pull the standard issue megalomaniac villain thing. Yeah, she totally said we could, and if you don't like it, you can take it up with her. Oh no, no, I, it's fine. You can go. This is this is and so she, this is <laughs> so so. This right here re- reminds me of me of me of Star Wars, right? Like you don't you don't want to answer to Darth Vader. Dar- Darth <laughs> Vader's going to be along any second, and 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 if he finds that that you've that you've stalled us here, he's going to be very angry. <laughs> Yeah, kind of like that, yeah. Because, you know, she has been known to disintegrate people and sentence them to dance with the Shining One and the whole thing. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's kind of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, on the other side of the Shadow Wall, there's there's even more weird stuff. There's there's a there's a dragon thing. Uh, there's there's these weird plants that sort of turn you into, into fungus. Yeah, it, it's some kind of. I wonder why they didn't weaponize that, but <laughs> uh, Lockla but, actually does. Lockla's got well, got a a whip of this plant thing, like wrapped around her her arm, like a like a pseudo tentacle. Yeah, there is that. I forget what they call that thing, but I remember that Yolara is quite terrified of it. It brings on some kind of agonizing death. We never do get to see it in detail, but trust me, it's bad. Yeah, once once again, the 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 women in this story are are kind of badass. Uh and and we we, we we actually do get to see it take effect cuz for, first our our heroes walk through a whole field of these of these plants. Uh and 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 Rador is telling them like just be be very careful, like don't don't touch them. You know, just you know, keep keep very still, walk silently, right? You know, or or don't don't make any any noise. I think, right? 
And then they, they turn around and they're being chased by Luger and his men. And, and Luger and his men just like run through this field of, of plants and, and they get like turned into, into fungus mush. Yeah. They try to brave the fields and I forget exactly what happens, but one of our heroes sets off the fungus landmines oh, I, and I, just, I think Larry shoots a gun and that, and that makes, makes right. noise and that, and that, and that just bursts all the pods. And, and of course, Dr. Goodwin being a botanist is, is, is like, Oh, this is very similar to such and such a thing that I studied <laughs> at Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. I think Larry's here partially just to, to call Goodwin out on his bullshit because I mean, he cannot go three seconds. If he sees something leafy looking, he has to analyze it. Uh, like, don't you realize this is pure metaphysical doom? And yeah, he, while he's debating exactly which type of doom it is, Larry just pulls him aside. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Run. <laughs> and yeah, they barely, barely escape from that. So we, we, we finally get to the silent ones and, and they're, they're, it, it, it turns out the, the silent ones are these three ancient bird lizards. <laughs> yeah. More or less that there's, there, there's one female and, and there's, there's two males and they're, they're just like ancient. They're, 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 they're these wise, ancient, I- immortal bird lizards. Uh, and we we basically get their backstory and we we get we 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 get the shining ones backstory uh and uh lakla actually shows our heroes uh the the layer of the shining one again through like hologram or 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 something so the 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 shining one just floats around in this infinite milky white space with all the bodies of the people that he's kidnapped over, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Yeah. I forget exactly why, but they bring up that every seafaring culture is here and they, for some reason it likes people around the sea. Maybe it's just because it's kind of trapped on that Island, but yeah, over the years, this thing's kind of set up a pseudo Bermuda triangle and just has, Millions and millions of dancing zombie slaves around it, and and then we we get the silent one story. Oh, and and in this so so in this in this sea of bodies, uh, Doctor Goodwin finally sees his friend Throckmorton, and and Throckmorton's wife Edith, and they're they're sort of floating to together, and and Goodwin, you know, briefly has a has a glimmer of hope, but. Lockla quickly brings him back to reality and explains that no, they're 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 dead. They've they've been they've been hollowed out and and, and filled with whatever you know the the shining one. You know the the, yeah. the shining one's essence basically. Yeah, equal parts ecstasy and agony forever and ever. Yeah, the term "dead alive" is brought up quite a few yes, times. Yes, yes. <laughs> so these these <laughs> these floating corpses are called the 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 dead alive uh and and so then then we we finally get the the silent ones backstory and so these are apparently like earth's original sentient beings and and they they actually crawled up out of the center of the 
of the Earth. And there was a whole race of them. The Taithu. Okay. So the Taithu, right. Right. So the the silent ones belonged to a species called the 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 Taithu that that crawled up out of the center of the of the earth. And they were there before, you know, there were human beings or at least in intelligent human beings cuz the, they 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 go up to the surface and they find like like dinosaurs and they 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 check back every, you know, million years or so to see if anything's changed and they 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 form this society in the in the middle of the, of the earth and the the silent ones are like the the scientists of the of the Taithu. They're they're the three wisest ones. Um and apparently they just they just all live for a very long time cuz it it doesn't mention them you know ever ever dying it's right uh and so so eventually the 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 taithu discover uh a a race of frog people on the surface uh and to to protect them they they kind of bring them down to Muria, and, and and just sort of like raise them as their as their you know as as their benevolent overlords, because uh, they're because they're they're kind, gentle, scientific beings, right? They they they're they're not in enslaving these these people. They're just they're just interested in their in their nourishment and their well being, sort of. Right. Um, and and these are these are the frog people that are that are. That, that 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 now live on the other side of the of the shadow wall and 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 Lachla is you know sur- surrounded by them and i think they're they're called the the aka yeah aka akla something along the lines of that yeah aka right and they essentially serve as kind of kind of Lachla's brute squad and honor guard apparently they're not exactly the most intelligent creatures but they get Plus twelve to strength and two size categories or something. Oh, they're 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 as intelligent uh, as your as your average Dungeons and Dragons humanoid. I mean, there's uh, right. I mean, D D is is full of, of frog like monsters and amphibian and lizard humanoids. I mean, just the 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 oh, what are uh, I'm trying to think of what's what's slod? what's the frog people? The slod maybe. Uh, those are those are the demons, but the oh. It'll come to me. Yeah, well, but uh, I mean, there's, there's also the, the yeah, there's the Kuotoa and the, I'll remember it at some point later, and then, <laughs> then I'll kick myself. <laughs> Hello, this is an edit from Jeff of two weeks later, who finally remembered that they're called Bollywugs. Bollywugs. And now back to the program. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, D, like this, this, this is your your standard Dungeons and Dragons demi-human because they've they've got two arms and two legs and they can wield weapons and they they have a language and they 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 have a culture. It's it's not much of one, but they can you know they 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 totally have it. And they're 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 not monsters. They're they're lockless friends. Um, uh, some kind of frog Klingons or something because they they seem to be extremely adept with the whole butchery thing. So yeah, so so, so anyways, the the Taithu bring bring the bring the Aka down to to live with them, and then then they sort of seal the 
you know any any entrances to the to the to the surface um and then 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 the three sort of come up uh come up with this this idea well we're we've sort of succeeded in nurturing this primitive race into a into a civilized race now now let's try and make life of our own right let's 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 try and make a make a being just out of out of science and and this is the origin of the shining one and there's a lot of poking around about and this is uh something i should maybe touch on it's kind of hard to tell where the science fiction starts and the science as it was known in 1918 starts because there's a lot of kind of and the ether is brought up for instance and lovecraft of course also did that the migo have wings so that they can propel themselves across the ether of space but anyway they figure out that there is a thing above ether which is more or less consciousness and they try and and establish an intermediary with consciousness so they can channel it and this is what they come up with the shining one a thing made out of solidified human emotion and moonlight more or less yeah it's 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 really weird and there's 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 a lot made um earlier in the story about how uh this this part of the of of the, of the earth the you know the the polynesian islands is 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 thought to to have been where the moon spun out of out of the globe of of earth as the solar system was was forming and that's, right. that's sort of another connection between this this whole geographical area and 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 moonlight right apparently they were spawned from they call it earth heart and apparently there are green flames down there for some unknowable reason sure but <laughs> yeah, at the center of the earth, green flames naturally. Well, this guy, they, this guy obviously never read Burroughs because in the center of the earth, there's there's a sun and there's there's cavemen and you know. Yeah, but, but <laughs> right. Yeah, anyway, so there is an influence there. But so, yeah, they were spawned from Earth Heart, and around this time, also from that very same Earth Heart area the moon spun out, which is why it's connected with their kind of mojo. And moonlight is, moonlight is not just reflected sunlight. It's something colored with their essence. You might say. Yeah. I I guess that's the, that's the ultimate explanation, but yeah, it's, it's really fantastic. And you, and you just sort of have to read the chapter yourself because I can't recite it all. Here. Yeah, it it's a whole big metaphysical creation myth thing. Yeah, we're talking big picture here. So they 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 endow the shining one with equal parts uh, good and evil, but the shining one very quickly toward turns to to evil. Um, the the shining one just kind of reaches puberty and is like, "Mom, Dad, I want to live on my own." And... <laughs> Uh, he he wants to uh, rule people and 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 slave people. Uh, and I, I think this. Oh yeah. Okay. So by by this time there there were now humans living living on the on, 
on the surface, right? And they and they, and they mention like a a society that that has a that that has a sun king, and a and a moon king, uh, and right. the 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 shining one go goes up there and basically takes over, right? Um, he he causes the 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 moon king half of the society to 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 slaughter the sun king half, right? Uh, right. And 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 then the then the islands start sinking just just because the you know the world is changing just like over over thousands and 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 thousands of years, so they they bring the humans down into the into the center of the earth into into Muria and and they become the humans that we've been seeing throughout this this story. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the black haired. Uh the black haired humans and the black haired dwarves are kind of an underclass because they were not of the originals or something on the lines of that. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a whole like eugenics process that's, that's described at, 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 at some point that, that explains why the women are pretty white women and the, and the men are short green dwarves. But, um, I kind of, I kind of didn't really understand that part. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to read that one for yourselves, folks, because seriously, we don't get it either. But like like any fantasy story, this this whole thing ends with a big climactic battle, right? Um, and oh my god, is there a battle? Right. And yeah, I do kind of rag on uh Merritt's bombastic writing style. Can't say anything without dropping some kind of mythology in there, but my god, the boy can write a fight scene, you know? So it, the 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 silent ones have been unable or unwilling to destroy the 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 shining one just because they they still love it. Yeah, uh, well, we made the thing, so right. wouldn't want to. And their uh. their their whole race, the 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 Taithu, uh, eventually uh, abandoned them and and sentenced them to to live down here, you know, for forever and until they could bring themselves to destroy their creation that, 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 that had brought so much evil. Right. So they're, they're, they're sort of like paying for the sin of creating this, this monster through their, their continual, uh, ex- existence down, d- down here. Um, but they, they tell, uh, Lakla and Larry that, that the only way, the only way, just to destroy the shining one is through the their their willing and and loving self-sacrifice because the 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 only thing the shining one doesn't have is is love and and love is what will unmake him which again I don't really understand but whatever it's <laughs> awesome. this this would be a great 80s movie <laughs> yeah you know, come to think of it, it would. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, they eventually wind up, and they, so yeah. So like, there's there's a there's a huge battle between the 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 good frog people and the and the evil other people living yeah. living down here, and the the shining one just comes charging in with his his army of dead alive just like flying in but behind him. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, there's, there's, there's lasers and there's, and, and there's fighting and, uh, Larry and Lakla sort of, you know, walk hand in hand towards this thing. 
uh, you know, they're 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 prepared and they're and they're willing to to do the deed, to 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 save Earth, right? To 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 save all these people, uh, and and at the last moment, uh, the Silent Ones actually intervene and do the deed themselves. Uh, Apparently, you know, kind of finally moved by their sacrifice, well, attempted sacrifice, but. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess they just needed to believe that they were sacrificing themselves in order for it to work. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I, again, like, it's. it's yeah. This is, this but, is probably the part that, that Lovecraft was criticizing, but. <laughs> yeah. I, I but, still still like it. It's, it's you know. Oh, yeah. It's, it's Absolutely. cheesy, but, it, but it's awesome. <laughs> Let me tell you, he can write a fight scene. I mean, this is a huge, epic battle. There are tens of thousands of frogmen and tens of thousands of green dwarves, and they clash in the middle, and there, there's a body count in the high ten thousands, even before the Shining One drops, and then all of the dead alive become just dead, and then there's about a thousand more. Yeah. And there's, and there's Lockline and Larry O'Keefe finally, you know, making out, roll credits, the whole thing, on this field of 20,000 bodies. And I just found that kind of hilarious. I mean... It's, it's, it's like the end of, it's, it's like the, the end of uh, Man of Steel. So the good guys live, the, the, the bad guys are dead. Uh, except for... Uh, Markinov, the evil Russian. Right. Yeah, we couldn't forget about him. So there, so the 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 heroes just just kind of walk away from the battlefield, and they're they're talking about what they're gonna do next. And Markinov just like pops out out of out of nowhere, and is like, "Well, you just killed my meal ticket, so I'm gonna get revenge." And kind of kind of like. Uh, Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty just 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 kind of wrestles with Dr. Goodwin and and they they both end up tumbling off a off a bridge into this like watery abyss. Uh mm-hmm. and the, the 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 story ends with Goodwin just washing up back on one of the, one of the islands that, you know, in in the in the Pacific. And and Markinoff is is there and 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 he's he's dead but Goodwin's alive, and Goodwin goes goes back to the entrance to the moon pool, and it's it's not there, and it it, it ends with him just lamenting that his his friends are trapped in the center of the earth, and he'll never see them again. The end. <laughs> All right, kind of a downer, but <laughs> and and there for me the world ended. <laughs> Wow, yeah, what a, what an ending. Yeah, I mean, we were just getting hopeful here. Big epic battle, kind of Christ imagery, self-sacrifice thing. This is the happy ending, right? Well, not really, no. Well, if, if, if this were Burroughs, there, there would be 20 more, more books of this, but uh, Merritt well, decided maybe to... Maybe he was sequel baiting, I'm not sure. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, Dr. Goodwin would go on to appear in another story called, I think, the, the metal, the metal monster or the, or the metal machine, something, something like that. Yeah. The metal monster. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if that's related. So we do reuse him. 
and I think I think Larry shows up somewhere else because let's face it, the crazy charismatic two fisted fighter pilot can't die, right? Oh, does he? Did you did you read that somewhere? <laughs> yeah, he might. I I think so though. I I read a lot of things about this thing, so okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we'll we'll encounter him him again, but. I mean, wow. I mean, this this is like reading this was like discovering a uh, 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 missing link because I, I had never heard of this guy. And it's, it's, it's not even that his story was was that great. I mean, it's 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 good. I, I, I enjoyed it. But like you can you can really see how this influenced Lovecraft. You can see how this influenced Gygax and, and just like. It's it 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 fits right in between Burroughs and and Lovecraft and, and everything that would would come after and it's it's so amazing that this this man existed and was writing this stuff and I've never heard of him. I would I would certainly recommend this to to anybody who's interested in the history of Dungeons and Dragons, anyone who's interested in the history of fantasy and by golly it's it's really it's it's a good story. I, I, I enjoyed it a whole lot better than uh, the the two Pellucidar books that that we we reviewed on the on the last two episodes. Okay, folks, we have reached the end of another program. I'd like to thank my guest Bear for his thoughts and insights. If you would like to leave a question or comment for either of us, you can reach us through the Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. Coming up soon, we will be discussing The King of Elfland's Daughter, the novel by Lord Dunsany. You can find a free copy on the web at www.fatedpage.com. For the month of October, I will be doing several shows on the short stories of H.P. Lovecraft. We will cover The Doom That Came to Sarnath, From Beyond, The Temple, The Music of Eric Zahn, Herbert West Reanimator, The Lurking Fear, The Rats in the Walls, and The Call of Cthulhu. Lovecraft's works are public domain and can be found all over the web. You just have to search for them. And there are numerous amateur audio recordings of these stories on YouTube, so I encourage you to check them out before the show. Finally, in November, we will be reading another of Abraham Merritt's novels, Dwellers in the Mirage. I'm in need of guests for that show, so please don't hesitate to contact me. You can find a free copy of on the web at Project Gutenberg Australia at www.gutenberg.net.au. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 7, The Moon Pool by Abraham Merritt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>